Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you today. Mike Salemi specializes in human performance, personal development for men, and is a sought-after international presenter in the field of health and fitness. He has a diverse background in strength and conditioning and has competed at an elite level in powerlifting and kettlebell sport over the course of 15-plus years. Through his own path of resolving sport-related injuries, Mike understands the importance of integrating the body, mind, and spirit as a means to foster high performance for the long term. His motivation is to help athletes, fitness professionals, and coaches discover their own potential from the inside out. Professionally, Mike has served as a Division I strength and conditioning coach for Santa Clara University, as well as been the trainer to elite athletes across a wide range of sports. His focus is teaching educational workshops, certifications, and creating programs on unconventional training that build more balanced athletes. Mike can't wait to continue sharing more about how having a resilient body can help one's work, overall focus, and performance. Mike Salemi, what an honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm stoked to dive in, bro. Dude, Thanks for having that me. That was a greatly abbreviated introduction. What have <laughs> you not done in health and fitness? Uh, you know, I well, the the I've I've actually been like I've done a lot of different roles. I have not like been a manager or owned a commercial gym or anything okay. like that. I have not been in that role. I've supported a lot of those open more or less like a non-for-profit gym at one point, but uh, that's like the one area that I've never really gotten into. If you told me that you were going to do that in like two weeks, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Uh, You have such an interesting story through health and fitness, and you were very, um, I would say, fortunate to come across some of the people that you did come across. Um, And there's certain names, if you've been health and fitness long enough, that like really resonate and like, wow, this guy trained with this dude or whatever. And there's one in particular that whenever I hear the name, it's so legendary and like mm-hmm. you you almost don't think he's real like if, if he actually exists in a body but paul check you it's have a mythical worked, figure a mythical figure does it's he exist have you touched him like <laughs> <laughs> you just know like when when somebody says like i've trained with paul check or i'm check certified mm-hmm. i know right off the bat like you're legit so tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with him how you found him and and all of that yeah so i started well i first heard about paul when i was the strength and conditioning coach at a place in what was it? It's no longer there in San Carlos. So a place very close to me where I am right now. And it's a holistic lifestyle center. It was a holistic lifestyle center. And the whole facility, I would say, was modeled after Paul's teachings. And so the trainers that were there, the philosophy they used in the gym, it was a very, very, very holistic approach to say the least. And at the time I was super involved in powerlifting. And so the owner of the gym, uh, Brian Champ, who's actually, he was either the first or one of the first Czech professionals in the Bay. Like this, he goes, he goes way back. And so we were doing a trade. I was going to teach him the power lifts because that was all I was into at the, in that time. And then he was going to help me on more of the holistic lifestyle side and lab testing and just balancing my body a little bit more, nutrition stuff. So we ended up doing that. And then the cool thing that happened was he basically gave me how to eat, move, be healthy or recommended that I get it. And that's at 17-ish, 18 years old. That's when I was first introduced to his work. But I didn't start working with him until I was about 23, so in 23, 24. So at least five, six years later when I had an injury that no one could figure out. So what I later came to realize through Paul's help was I had a compartment syndrome in my left arm. So Compartment syndromes, for those that may not be familiar with it, you tend to get it, runners tend to get it in their legs. Um, I didn't know this, but Paul was a motocross racer, and actually, motocross racers get it in their arms, which is one of the ways that wow. he knew how to identify it. So, basically, the compartment of fascia, connective tissue in the arm, uh, would get swelled and pooled with blood and just would not clear anytime I would do a hard effort in the gym, especially with kettlebells. So blood would get stuck, my hand would go numb, I'd be forced to drop the kettlebells in any type of hard effort. And I was in one of Paul's courses, one of his upper level courses. And basically by that time, I'd spent two and a half years going to almost nine different practitioners trying to solve what the fuck is causing this because I'm not able to reach my potential. I really felt like every single competition, I was failing, coming up short for no lack of discipline, but just this one thing I couldn't figure out. And in the course, at the end of the course, I go up to him and I'm like, you know, Paul, I know this is not the right appropriate place to be asking you at the end of this course. There's a whole line of people who want to say goodbye to you and, and get, you know, get on with their day and fly home. But I've got this thing and no one can figure it out. Is there 
anything that you can tell me or direct me or anything. He feels around, asks me two to three questions on the spot. And I always tell people one of the most amazing things about Paul, given his experience, given, you know, 30 plus, I think 35 years basically solving the most complex cases, he was the first person out of the last two and a half years that did not promise me that he could quote unquote fix me or that his, he was just like, uh, what he was he basically had said, you know, I'm not 100% sure. I have an idea, uh, but I can't promise you anything. I'd have to get you on a table, actually look through your entire body. It's a long process via his system. But, you know, I think I have an idea, but I can't promise you anything. And for me, I was just like, whoa. If someone at this level is not promising that that they're going to be able to be the end all be all, like fuck, I'm in. And so, fast forward two and a half years of going down once a month, anywhere from four hours to two full days, and then a lot of coaching in between. We really developed a relationship, and even though I was going to him to help solve this issue in my arm and to help me reach the highest level in kettlebell sport or one of the highest levels. Anyone who knows Paul, yourself included, his teachings, it's, it is the physical is a big part of it, you know, the body and balance, but it is so much more than that. And so the coaching during the month and everything else really just is the platform and the foundation for everything that I do now from men's work to training to whatever. It's so much more integrated than it ever was before. And I really have Paul to thank for a lot of that. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. That's how you know when somebody is really smart. It's like the smart people don't know. <laughs> like I knew everything there was to know about personal training. I knew personal training up and down when I got my certification and started day one at the gym. And here we go 15 years later. I don't know shit. Like that, mm. that's how you know you found the people that are like really focused on their craft and, and are, are really looking for those answers because they, they don't have all the answers and are overpromising those answers. Totally. Totally. It's so true. It's really, I mean, honestly, dude, it's really refreshing. And I understand that every practitioner is going to look through and treat the body via their lens. And that's really what it felt like. Like I was getting a lot of valuable information from all of these practitioners. And, um, but it seemed, and all great guys, I learned a lot. They were solid humans, legit at what their craft, but it really seemed like many of them were just literally had the glasses of this is the only thing that I'm looking through. So whether it's just fascia or just the nervous system or just the upper cervical or just, and I was like, okay, that's a piece to the puzzle. And a part of the process, I think with anyone who's trying to resolve any major injury or anything in their life, sometimes it's a process of checking boxes and saying, okay, that's not it. That's not it. But what I really realized, probably it wasn't going to be one thing or one modality or one fix like if I've gone through nine different practitioners, all legit in their craft, all looking at the body from different perspectives, and none of them are really helping me solve the major issue, then it probably there's, it's probably going to be multifaceted. And that's really what Paul does really well with. For example, um, one of the things that blew me away and that was so telling was he was explaining how you know each organ – reflexes into a specific muscle complex and they express pain pretty uniquely. And so the liver, or I'm sorry, the, the stomach reflexes into the left shoulder, the liver into the right shoulder. And so whether it's due to something that we're eating that's aggravating the stomach or an emotional tie to that organ, it can express itself like left shoulder issues because it's on the same reflex loop. And so what was interesting, we would test this with something called a hand dynamometer. So like a, basically like a, a, a fancy hand grip device, basically that when I would drink espresso, which would aggravate my bet, my stomach, then my left, my, my hand would get weaker. Wow. And it was just like, what the fuck? So it was just such a cool thing to, and that's just one example of how like an area that I never thought could be remotely correlated. And I had fungal and parasite issues for years. I had bacteria infection, I had gut issues. So it all made sense that I could be treating the left shoulder, which was connected to the arm all night and day. But if I'm eating food that for whatever reason I'm sensitive to, and that's lighting it up, and then that's stealing energy, information, and blood flow to the left shoulder, 
I could be on the left shoulder all day, but I'm going to be missing a huge, huge element. And that's really what he illuminated a lot of stuff for that's, me in that regard. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. My wife works with, um, myofascial release. And so it is amazing that like the ties between the physical body, emotions, different things that people have going on. People have releases all the time to do some myofascial release in a certain part of the body that unlocks some past trauma. And all of a sudden this person's bawling, you know, it, it's, we have to have the, the anatomy trains posters on the wall in our space. And we all also have to have the emotion wheel so that people can identify emotions. And those two things cannot be divorced. They can't be separated in my opinion. That's awesome. That's so cool that you guys have that. And I think that's like, that's such a missing link and it's so important. It's so, it's, it's so eye opening that the fascia can store all that night. It totally, uh, I could see that. If, if, if your wife's hitting on an area and stuff's coming through and, and it's, uh, it's way more than just the physical, yep. <laughs> it's yep. way more body keeps the score for sure. Um, yeah, 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 totally. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about physical. Um, you're, you're so great at integrating all those things and learning all that stuff from Paul check, but, um, we, we do want to talk a little bit about the physical and you got into powerlifting and I'd love to know how, not only how you got into powerlifting, but how over time that transitioned into your love for kettlebells, which we adore. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So powerlifting was uh, when I was 14 years old. I was just coming out of gymnastics and had a lower spine injury. And the chiropractor that I went to go see at the time was heavily involved in powerlifting. He was a, a drug-free, he was competing in drug-free organizations, was a bench press world champion. His name was Mike Ludovico. He was, uh, and at that age, when I was 14, I saw this guy who just looked like a freaking pit bull, you know, a super nice guy, but just like, just jacked on jacked. But natural, natural, no, no, no juice, nothing like that. And he was benching over six hundred pounds, completely drug free. Wow. I think I, I don't know if he got six sixty, but it was in the it was in the it was in the sixes. And uh, so that at fourteen, I was like, whoa! And so he helped rehab my spine. And he knew like one of my favorite things in gymnastics, uh, and even and I did one year of high school football was literally the weight room. When I was in football, I was a th I'd never played football before before high school. I did one season. I was a third string running back, and literally I just wanted to hide out in the gym. We would do our weightlifting sessions, and then I just remember like never wanting to leave the gym and just absolutely loving that aspect. And so Mike Ludovico told me, he's like, man, you really like this stuff. You love the strength and conditioning aspect. You've been a mover your whole life. Um, why don't you come down to my basement gym? It's, it's a private gym and uh, we'll see what happens. So this gym was, it was intense, intense. There was, you needed a key to get in. It was in the basement of a dude's house, all garbage men primarily, a few firefighters, a few police officers, as blue collar as it gets, intense. And there was between um, about 18-ish guys, but on a training day, usually you're going to get like eight to 10 guys at most, and you're going in a rotation. And I was the youngest guy, and I'm starting at the bottom of the ladder, the very bottom. So I was basically the loader. So you've got, let's say, eight guys inner, like basically rotating through on the bench press. you got two loaders, and basically I'm loading all the way from my weight, I don't know, 95 pounds, 100 pounds when I first started on the bench, all the way up to four, five, and 600 pounds. And so you basically got to pay your dues. And it took me, I think, like a year to a year and a half to earn my key. But that's really where I started powerlifting. And that was at the Palace Gym. And uh, literally, even though in one organization I won a world championships, the once a year we would do a pound for pound competition to see who is the strongest in the gym. And it was called the Extravaganza. And that meant more to me. Winning that took me, I think, eight years to win that. Um, and my brother won two years before that. I brought him in later. Meant more to me than any other competition that I would have competed in. And it was like, it was amazing. So it was an amazing, like they took me under their wing. Mike Ludovico, the owner of the gym, a guy named Steve Yugi. Basically, every single day, this was my church. Four days a week at least, I would go there. I, if, if stuff happened in the family, that's where I would go, would be in the couches, in the palace gym, and it was uh, an amazing experience. But that's also where I dived into kettlebells because when I was 18, I wanted to learn more about powerlifting. Actually, the palace gym closed, and that's when I opened up my own little gym for us, for us members after that. And I went to Westside Barbell to learn and train under Louis Simmons. So I spent about a month there and Louis was using kettlebells and he was using them for the swing and a few other basic movements. But he's like, dude, Mike, when you go back home, you got to get these. 
So I ordered kettlebells and then, um, and then I could certainly share more about that, but it was basically due to Louie who introduced me to him. We were using them for the power lifts, no snatching, nothing crazy, no, no sexy movements, just the swing basically. And I was amazed at how much it was making my power lift stronger, faster, quicker, pulling off the floor, getting out of the hole at the bottom of the squat. And I was like, dude, this is dope. And, uh, and then I really wanted to learn so much more about him after that. That's amazing. I, I love finding people who get interested in strength training because that's where you find the people who fall in love with the process. They're not so fixed mm. on an outcome and they're not racing to get to a certain something. It's, it's putting in that time and that effort. It's earning the right every single day and, and going through that pain and suffering. I, I just think there's so much to be said for that. And I, I love talking to people in this industry because that's where you find those people that were always willing to go through, you know, <laughs> racking weights for a year and a half before you got your key. Like, I think that's such a cool part of the process for, for the listener that maybe hasn't done anything with a kettlebell. Can you explain why a kettlebell is so special? What makes it unique? Yeah, it, it's, it's very different than, you know, I, I really do believe that, especially a personal trainer, like it's a, it's a must nowadays to learn how to use a kettlebell. Like if someone's not knowing at least fundamentals, like fundamental movements, you're missing out on a lot, a lot, a lot of potential benefits. Kettlebell, even just one is its own gym in one. If you look at like a barbell, you need a bar, you need a bunch of plates. Barbell is amazing for incrementally loading. If you want to develop absolute strength, see how strong you can get for one rep, barbell is going to be great, okay? And even some Olympic weightlifting stuff for sure as well, for sure. Dumbbell, great. Now you can train unilaterally. You can work out imbalances on left and right. But one of the things with a dumbbell, typically you're not going to just get one. Typically you're going to need multiple sets of multiple weights, but you can start doing more quote unquote, uh, functional movement. You can do single leg work, things that are going to relate more to your everyday activities. Kettlebell is unique in the sense of it's basically, um, if you look at the construction of it, you've got a big mass that's offset from the handle. And when you're using a kettlebell, the way I describe it is you're basically training with a live object, meaning as the kettlebell moves, let's say on the clean or on the snatch or on what's called a bottoms up press, you can do things with a kettlebell that you can't do with any other strength and conditioning tool. It's going to develop a better and more just finely tuned nervous system, which is really what I'm looking for as a coach. The smarter the nervous system, the more intelligent the nervous system, the better everything is going to function in the body. And so what happens is with that offset center of mass, this kettlebell now becomes a live object. And also you can train two bells, you can train one bell, so unilateral training. When I'm looking at developing just well-rounded athleticism, which I believe everybody is an athlete and everyone has some degree, whether you're maybe different than a competitive athlete, that might be different. But in terms of what we look at as it relates to being an athlete, being having longevity as a human being, being, we all are going to need the different qualities that an athlete in general has to develop. Coordination, balance, flexibility, strength, power, speed, These, all of these balance, all of these qualities. And with a kettlebell, more than almost any other tool that I know is in a short amount of time, you can accomplish all of those objectives. And what's cool too is like, for example, um, strength and flexibility, they tend to go in opposite directions. The stronger that someone's is, typically the tighter, the more bound up they are, tend to be less flexible. When you train with a kettlebell, you're going to be able to train both strength and flexibility and also strength and cardio. Man, you try and do snatch, and you know this very, very well, so I'm, I'm kind of speaking to the crier, but for those that don't, don't quite know, it's amazing in how short amount of time you can get the heart rate up, you can get a great conditioning effect, but also you can get stronger. And so I really love it for its versatility, its portability. And if you know how to use it, literally just one bell of one weight, not even a whole gym. I mean, it's nice to have more for sure. But if you know how to use it, you've got like everything that you need in one tool. So, um, and that's why I love it so much, man. Like I, I've taken it on the court when I've coached uh, at Santa Clara. Like you can take it with you anywhere that you want to go, and it's a fantastic tool. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember very early on when I was getting certified in kettlebells that that you know a barbell looks like a barbell and it has its advantages, but there's not many objects that I encounter in my day to day life that look like a barbell. Same with a dumbbell. You don't you don't see that shape out in nature very often, but you see a kettlebell everywhere. That's a suitcase. Or a bag or a purse and it carries mm. inertia and momentum and it requires acceleration and deceleration. And I've always appreciated that as a tool, um, in that way. And, and the way you're describing to be able to train multiple things, it's, it's so valuable. I love that. 
Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, uh, and it's cool too. Like as I've been studying, not studying, but just like years ago, just reading more about the history of it. Like this tool has been used for a long time, whether people consciously knew it or not. Like in like one of the, there was, um, a picture of, a. It was, this was like long time, I don't know, thousands of years ago, let's just say, but a Shaolin monk using basically the lock on a temple door, which basically looked like a kettlebell in its shape. And he was using that as a conditioning tool. Uh, the Russians were using it for like basically how to measure grain. And then they were starting to use it as lifting implements. Then strongmen were using it. So it's been a part of like, our strength culture and different strength culture for years, whether they, it was like you're saying other objects going back to the suit, like we've been using a kettlebell in some way, shape or form consciously and unconsciously for years and forever, because it is such a tool that resembles so many things that we use and need to use on a day-to-day basis. So interesting. I was always told that they originated in Russia and it was farmers that would use it, use a kettlebell like thing for counterweight to potatoes. And that the farmers Mm. would like throw these things around and juggle them and they all got like super jacked like way back in the day before <laughs> that was like a goal like that that's cool it sounds about right um yeah. as, as far as kettlebell training goes what are some movements that you can do with a kettlebell that make them really unique to the kettlebell that you can't really do with other modalities yeah so one in particular that i love any bottoms up work so as for those that may not be familiar basically when you let's say you did a clean so you bring the kettlebell to chest level when the mass, the center bowling ball portion is pointed up to the sky, you've got to, excuse me, you've got to balance it with your grip and the balance point. And that specific movement or any bottoms up lift when that type of grip or orientation is set like that, that is one thing that you can't accomplish with damn near any other tool. You can't do that with a barbell. You can't do that with a dumbbell. Um, can't do that with you know a medicine ball or anything else or even a Bulgarian bag or anything like that. But really what you're going to get is the, the transfer. One, you're going to get to, you get that live object because as soon as that, that, that kettlebell moves or shifts slightly, you know you've got to adjust your body or adjust your grip so that you can maintain the balance point. But then you're going to get this irradiation running through the grip into the shoulder. It's one of the best things that I love for just, you could call it shoulder rehab, just shoulder health in general. I absolutely love bottoms up training. And again, it's going to tune in that nervous system so much more and connect that. So bottoms up training, um, other things too, like with a barbell, you can't swing a barbell between your legs. Like if you tried to do that, you would take out your kneecaps pretty good. Uh, but with a kettlebell, you can swing. So the swing, the clean and the snatch as done with a kettlebell is going to be something that you, you could kind of, obviously with a dumbbell, it will swing between your legs. But once again, the construction of a kettlebell versus a dumbbell is very different in terms of like if I tried to – I mean I could hold the mass of, of one side of a dumbbell. But again, you're not going to get that swing component. Like it's, it's going to be very rigid of a movement. And the one thing is – so kettlebells, yes, there's different weights. And now we have – as the years have progressed, there's like two kilo increments and it's like we've got – bell. I mean I've seen bells up to 200 pounds like – but especially in the early days or earlier days, like it was way less the options. Typically, the best that you were going to find was four kilo jumps, eight kilos, 12 kilos, 16, 20, and so on, up to about 32. And basically, the way that in general you progress with kettlebells, again, now there's so many other ways with weights and, and we're talking how to train the nervous system, et cetera. But the main way that someone would progress with kettlebells was through repetition, through volume, hence kettlebell sport. And kettlebell sport is classically 10 minutes unbroken, clean and jerks with two bells for men. And then there's a 20-minute long category split up in two 10-minute events, single single bell snatch with one hand switch and double bell jerk for 10 minutes. So with a sport like that, you take your weight class, you take the bell weight, and you see how many repetitions you can do. So going back to what you can do with a kettlebell that you can't really do with other other objects or nearly as well or as efficient is you can do these high volume ballistic movements, swings, cleans, snatches, and do so repetitively. And again, build strength, endurance, and build volume efficiently. So what I would say is those two things, the through the legs ballistic movements and the bottoms up are two of the most 
quintessential things that really separate the kettlebell from other tools. But then again, there, there's other things that it works really well with too, for sure. Yeah, that's great. When we got certified, they told us the same thing that you kind of promote, which is like you take people through a program, they use a weight for whatever amount of time, it could be a six week, eight week, you know, 12 week block, whatever that is. And, and they only use the one bell and then they earn the right to upgrade the bell later on. I love that concept. Can you explain why that kind of minimalist approach of just owning one bell can be really effective? Rex and Tucker apparently also want to know. <laughs> Rex and Tucker, I love it. They, uh, they, they make uh, a lot of podcast appearances. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, you said something, Casey, that I love. And it's just the concept of like, and we've lost this as a fucking culture, like to earn your way into something. And like, especially into something like lifting weights, like, and I say this with respect for people because some t- people just don't know and they just, you know, there's the motivation. I want to be bigger. I want to be stronger. So more is better. But we've forgotten so much that movement should be, in my opinion, should be a practice, right? And not only a practice, but it's something that we need to earn our way into. Like the kettlebell is not going to respect you. The kettlebell literally is, it's got no feelings for you. It doesn't like you. It doesn't hate you. And if you don't respect it, and I'll tell you this for someone who's, I mean, I think anyone who's competing at an elite level and just doing so much volume, little stuff comes up, like little tweaks, little niggles, little injuries. Like I've been, maybe not, I've had a few big injuries in my career, but I've had a lot of little ones. And that just comes with the territory. If you're pushing yourself in competition, if your shoulder gets a little bit out of position, I got two 40 kilo bells overhead and I've got to go for five plus minutes nonstop. Like this is a game of millimeters. And if I don't, and every single time, if I didn't respect the weight, that's always, always when something happened. And so hopefully why someone's choosing to enter into kettlebells or any type of resistance training is to make themselves better, is to make them a better mover, maybe improve their confidence, maybe it's for community, whatever it is. But if we go in there and don't earn our way into these movements and think, oh shit, that kettlebell snatch, that's a dope movement. I'm just going to do the five-minute snatch test. Let's go, baby, and let's see what happens you're going to be probably on the couch for for a while. Yeah. You know? Crazy. No, I remember one of my favorite artists is uh, Jason Mraz. And I remember an an interview that he gave where the the interviewee asked him a question like, what advice would you give to a musician on the come up? And Jason says something along the lines of like, you need to go through the process. Like people send me mixtapes and want me to listen to their stuff and put their CDs in. And I just throw them right in the trash. And knowing him, he's like such a kind dude that, that, that answer kind of surprised me. But his point was like, you have to do the shitty gigs. You got to show up and play, you know, open mic nights and perfect your craft. And that's not something that I can just sign off on automatically. And you skip all those steps. You have to go through those steps. And so I really love that approach that you take and just starting with one bell and getting good at those repetitions before you think about expanding out into different things or heavier weight. Um, you have created several programs with kettlebells, but one in particular is called kettlebell lifestyle. Why did you choose the term kettlebell lifestyle versus like kettlebell workout and then go do whatever else you want to do with your life? That's what kettlebell shred. <laughs> exactly. Kettlebell Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. No. Better marketing. Yeah. Yeah, really, honestly, really better probably mark, you know, more people would probably see it. But that being said, like it wouldn't be in alignment with my values. Like I am so much more like, you know, I'll be the first to say like it's a program that is created to support damn near everyone, but it's not for everyone because I really love educating. Like that's one thing that I absolutely love doing. And well, there's a few intentions from calling it kettlebell lifestyle. And the reason why I designed the whole program that if someone only had one bell, not one bell of multiple weights, if you do have multiple weights, great. But I really wanted to show the potential, the versatility of this tool, especially I came out with it during the beginning of COVID when I was like, and I get this all the time. Like, I mean, I've, I've taught to, uh, I mean, all sorts of organizations and stuff over the years and still by and large organizations and people, myself included, you know, I got to check myself too, are very quick to buy the equipment, but hesitant to invest in the education. So it's like when I'm working with an organization, like, oh, we got, I don't know, 5k for a budget to get kettlebells and outfit our facilities. But, oh, we don't really have any money to hire you to teach us how to use it. I'm like, well, fuck, like save the 5k, get three bells for your group and just one bell that's good for most women between this body weight, most men's this body weight, et cetera. And let me teach you how to use it. Like, just like, trust me on that. And so what I really wanted to do was 
allow people just to buy the most minimal amount of equipment that they need. And I help people decide which one based off of four factors, Love fitness that. level, skill level, body weight, gender, et cetera. What's the, my first recommended weight, my second recommended weight, third recommended weight based on their budget. And let's learn how to do skills with this tool. So the kettlebell lifestyle component, the lifestyle specifically, honestly came from so much of my inspiration working with Paul. When I realized it, it's not, it can't just be about the kettlebell. It cannot be about like, if I'm just training people in the kettlebell for me personally, I don't know who's in front of me. They could literally be already super overtrained, burnt out, and they're trying to do my workouts and that's going to send them further into deficit. So what I wanted to do was basically have uh, a lot of what I did with Paul, but maybe, not maybe, but a lot more condensed. So each day when I was working with Paul during the month outside of my monthly training sessions, I would fill out a few paper, some paperwork. So I would fill out something that he called a, a daily readiness assessment. So it's a whole big questionnaire, I don't know, like 40 questions looking at uh, mus- musculoskeletal system stress, limbic emotional stress, and hormonal stress. And I would take those scores and put them on a Google sheet and I would graph it with heart rate and stuff. And then I would take his four doctor system, which looks at doctor happiness, so the mental emotional state, doctor quiet, doctor diet, and doctor movement. And I would chart those. And so basically any day, and I would chart training volume in my workouts, he could look on a Google sheet and see how I was responding. So if I had a challenge or like something was off, he would be able to give me coaching feedback right away. So I wanted to take something like that to where I could empower the individual to know how hard to push, how much to back off, and basically use the workout as a flexible template to guide them, but they basically are in the driver's seat. So I incorporated, um, basically I had it custom, custom made where before each major training workout, it's going to ask you five questions. So looking at stress, digestion, things like water retention, looking at soreness and, and that sort of stuff. And your training volume will modify slightly on that workout based off of how you feel or what you honestly put down. If you're too stressed and too burnt out, it's going to suggest working in, so an active meditation or maybe your corrective stretching program. So what I wanted to do is use the kettlebell as the door that's most open, give people a means of movement that's super versatile, that just with one tool they could take anywhere in their office, outside, take to the park with their kids, but also learn how to warm up, do working in exercises. And then there's a ton of guest contributors. Paul did two. What did he present? He presented, I think, a lecture or a small video on working in and on sleep. And so each week for nine weeks, you get information from people that I've really looked up to to connect you with some, you know, people who have way more knowledge and are way better than me in these aspects. Um, I brought them in as well to support on some of the different lifestyle stuff as well. It's incredible. It's definitely the most comprehensive program that I've seen. And I would say that could probably extend not just to kettlebells, but in training in general. I think it's fantastic. Mm. I used to really only value objective measures. I wanted to know what your HRV was, what your heart rate is, um, what your VO2 max is. And obviously there's a lot of value in taking objective measures, but over the years, I've really come to appreciate more subjective things. Rate of perceived exertion on a scale of one to 10, how do you think you're feeling as far as difficulty? I think can be an amazing tool to tell somebody and filling out those questions as a subjective tool, I think is fantastic because you're really getting the insight on how does that person think they're doing with some of these things. I think it's really valuable. I totally agree, man. And I think there can be a place for the objective stuff. Absolutely. Sometimes people need that or for a certain amount of time, but the more that we can be tuned into actually, or just curious, like literally it's, I think a lot of it is just the curiosity to ask the question. Like how, and genuinely being honest, like, how am I feeling right now? Like, am I genuinely tired or do I think I'm not tired because, you know, I've got all these responsibilities today. I'm guilty about if I said I was tired, I'd be guilty about telling my partner, oh, I'm feeling a little worn down today or I've got kids or like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I've just slammed three cups of coffee. And I, I think it, it's less about, it, it's, mo- it's more about just the curiosity and being honest and then being willing to look at whatever that result is or whatever that, that the answer to that question is. And if we can be honest with ourselves and be like, you know what? Like I do have a crazy day today. I got to perform and, and maybe I'm not going to get much rest, but I'm honest with myself saying I am tired. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I do need a little, I do need to start taking care of myself in a different way or make some of these adjustments. Mm, I love that. Any program I've ever designed, I tell people like, here's the program. This is a good guess. Like I've done this before. I can make a really, really good guess on what's going to work, but I don't know how you're going to feel next Tuesday after flying or next Thursday after you, you know, got off your diet plan. Like there's so many other different variables. And I think considering all of that is just so critical and so important. I'm so glad that's part of your program. You are somebody who has lifted an enormous amount of weights in your life. You have lifted a a lot of weight. And I would argue that the physical weight that you have lifted in your life is probably not the heaviest weights that you have Mm. had to address in your life. And I would be curious to know how you got into men's coaching and, and how you realized that there was other heavy things that need to be lifted in life that weren't necessarily physical. Mm, Man, such a good question. Uh, Whew. Um, hmm. Ooh, this one hits home because like I just I literally just got back last week from leading my 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 men's retreat. And so like as you were saying that, like just had like just vision or just um just it, it hit me just like sitting around the fire with the guys and some of the shares and what they shared and like literally just yeah, very, very deep stuff. Very, very just deep and and intimate stuff and powerful stuff. And so to answer your question, like I realized that I love fitness. I love movement. I love Bulgarian bags. I love just seeing what the physical body can express. And I've learned so much from that. And it's been the window into looking at other aspects of myself, like we've kind of been touching on, especially as guided by Paul, especially in, in the beginning of this. And what I started realizing, especially through my and Paul's coaching, was like when I would go under you know, some emotional stress, I get in a fight with my dad or something would happen, I would see my stress scores, my heart rate, or some of these other things, I would see these things being affected. And then all of a sudden, I would start making the correlation that the numbers in the gym would go down. And like if I ate something I would I was sensitive to, I started noticing that these scores would go up. And then all of a sudden, like I would feel less stable in the squat or in the clean and jerk. And I started really connecting like some of these other aspects of life that I had no idea were correlated and could have an impact on performance. I was like, wow. Like if I'm not managing my diet and I'm eating shit that I'm sensitive to, that's absolutely going to affect my performance. So I think that connection started opening up things as well. And I would say I've always been just a like more of a curious heart-centered guy. But then I started assisting and I started um, – I went down the path of becoming a combo practitioner, which is a specific type of – uh, Amazonian uh, natural indigenous medicine. And so I've been curious about this stuff, some of the healing stuff for years. And I started realizing that like, man, I really love being a part of these containers. And for me, what was only strength, which was how much someone could put up repetition wise, I started realizing, wow, it's takes a lot more strength and courage, or at least a lot of strength and courage to actually be vulnerable than it does just to push the weight. Like for me specifically, I was like, man, the weights I know. Like I know if I do this program, da, 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 I'm going to go up 2.5 pounds each week and 50% and all this stuff. But man, I've like looking at some of the scary stuff or some of the patterns that I've been avoiding or some of the challenges with family or the fears of relationships, that is what really started opening me up. And so I started assisting other men's retreats and men's men's things. And I was like, this is nourishing me at a whole nother level. And while I do love movement, I love being a part of these containers, this brotherhood. And I really feel it's something as society we've been missing and we've been craving and have been needing. And so the real push to do more of this work professionally came in. Uh, I decided I wanted to take a few days out in nature by myself. So I spent like three days by myself and I was just getting really honest with myself. And I was like, what the fuck do you want to do? What do you want to do? If there was literally no, like not thinking about what your Instagram followers want, not thinking about what maybe your parents thought was maybe the right path for you or wanted for you, not thinking about anything. What the fuck do you want, Mike? And I just sat there, legit, just sat there. And I gave myself a few days. And so the coolest things came out of it, which I never would have thought. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to learn how to play an instrument. Like, but I never thought it like, what, what am I like that hour could go to reading or studying or 
So and I was like, no, I want to learn how to play the shamanic drum. <laughs> and I had been doing some, uh, I'd been participating in some medicine ceremonies and, and I was like, but it's not for you. You're a white guy. Like you can't like, and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to learn. So I started looking up shamanic drumming and I started looking up didgeridoo stuff. And like, so now it's been well, I mean, it's been a while. I've been doing weekly sessions with a coach. Uh, and I've been learning the drum and, and my girlfriend always gives me a hard time because she says I'm like learning six different instruments, the shruti box, the jaw harp, the didgeridoo, the drum, the rattle, but I'm having a great time. And I was like, and it's helped me open up so much more and ground in my body. And like, I mean, the drum in and of itself, like there's, there's, I mean, there's many beats, but like the, the two simple one is called the father beat and the heartbeat. And the heartbeat is just a simple, like I'll just do it with my hand, is just a two-beat or bum, 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 bum. And it mimics the beat of our heart. And it actually connects us back into when we were in the wound. It was the first sound that we ever heard was our mother's heartbeat. And so there's such a nurturing. It's ingrained in our nervous system. And as I'm learning slowly and at the beginning stages, but even five to seven minutes, seven minutes of continuous repetitious beat can start retraining the nervous system. So that came out of that. And then I was like, man, I, you know, even though most of my following knows me in fitness. I really want to show this side that I've been working on these last few years. I want to create these containers for these men, this container of safety where it's okay to be vulnerable and we can really support each other in hopefully a non-judgmental way and support us all in moving forward. And again, I was assisting in a few other retreats and experiences and I was like, no, but man, you're, you know, what are people going to think? You're the kettlebell dude. You're the Bulgarian back dude. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. So that day is when I decided I was going to create a retreat. And I set the date and I got home and I told my girlfriend and I was also encouraged by a few other people to do this. And um, yeah, man. So I had the support, but it was really those days in, in isolation or by myself and just asking the question, why not? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Be honest with yourself. And if it scares you, it's okay too. just there's no harm in asking the question and going, I didn't have to take action on it right away. I was just like, just ask. But then as soon as that clarity came in, then I felt a responsibility to myself that now with that clarity, now it's on you to, to, to what path do you want to go? And I was like, fuck it, let's go, let's do this. Wow. And that's how it started. That's incredible. I love that. I absolutely love that. You used the word um, at least twice, vulnerability. And each time you wanted, or you said that word, I want to like crawl in a hole and <laughs> not hear that word. Talk about my feelings. I, I would rather do the hardest physical program I could ever do every single day than talk about my feelings. What is it about our masculine energy that makes it so difficult to feel emotion, express emotion? And how how can we bring that emotion out in a way that's safe and, and again, supports our masculine yeah, I mean, I think if you um, maybe I'll, I'll take one step back. So, like the masculine and the feminine, a lot of people associate it with gender, but it's actually not gender. So, in genders, we all have a masculine component and a, and a feminine component. So, I think the first thing is to notice that even our ladies or uh, even women are going to have a degree of a masculine essence and a feminine. But what tends to happen is some, in some way, shape, or form, it's going to, well, some of us could have a balance left and uh, masculine and feminine. Some are going to have more. I've got more of a masculine essence compared to a feminine. And the masculine is the action, is the doing, is the direction. That is the forward path, the do, do, do. The feminine is the receptive. The feminine is the nurturing side, is the womb, is like the uh, the tenderness, that sort of the mothering, that, that is the essence. And so... Um, for me, so one of the questions you asked, and please remind me if I if I skip over one, but the one that was sticking out to me is like, how can we uh, how can we invite in this vulnerability or maybe more of this nurturing, softer side? And one of the things that I've really seen, and it's been blown, it's blown me away, is in these containers, these containers where men are coming together for this, or maybe each one's coming for their own reasons, for sure. But this similar intention to want to be better, this similar intention to want to uncover our patterns, or why are we just repeating the same shit over and over when we want something different? And so I really feel there is such power in community and in the circle. And when we come in with that intention, and one guy, because what happens is, is like oftentimes it only takes one. 
It only takes one person to open up and basically allow the group the permission to show them what that looks like. As men, we just haven't been modeled so much. What happens when we were kids and we were on the baseball field and like, I don't even know, let's say a ball hits us or we fall down. It's, it's basically like shake it up, get up and keep going. So as men, it's way more, I would say, societally accepted to get angry as an example. Females, it's more accepted to cry and, and not vice versa. And so we have these stigmas and these ways of things that are just in, in etched into our culture. And I think really the container, the permission, and it is so needed. I mean, I've seen guys literally, literally, even in breathwork ceremonies, just breathwork, before the ceremony even starts, and we're just we're breathing from one hour or two, three hours if it's holotropic, I've literally seen, and this is when it really blew me away, the guy next to me, and I, w- I was sitting and holding space for a lady who was going through her process. There was a sitter and there was a breather. The guy next to me, literally, the music hadn't even started, hadn't even started when they were playing and he was going to start breathing. Within the first few seconds, he just started basically going through the wildest release. It literally looked as crazy as, not as crazy, but as as powerful or as whatever as any medicine ceremony I've ever been in. And he was in that for hours. And it was a three-hour holotropic. And I was thinking about that and I was like, what the fuck? He hadn't even started breathing yet. What he And this is my projection on him, what I think is happening. So who knows what was going on, honestly. But what I felt was, that shit was so built up in him, so built up in him. Outside in the world, we don't have, it's not accepted, it's not allowed, it's not invited in to actually express what's honestly going in inside, whether we're happy, sad. It's that we, when people ask you, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, I'm great. Okay, well, maybe that's not the time and the place, but usually if we're angry, we don't have an outlet for that. And that just builds up and builds up and builds up like a heavy-ass backpack. And what I would imagine that guy needed was just the opportunity, just the container. We're just letting him know it's okay to let some of this shit go. And one of the things that I've heard so much from the retreats, especially, is literally it feels like guys, myself included, are wearing a backpack. And at the end of the retreat, it feels like we've just let go of a backpack full of bricks. So I think as humans, we all have this in us. But it's the container, the safety, the permission, and just like the brothers, especially, just all saying, hey, man, it's okay. Like, and then once it opens, it's just so incredible to see how that allows the next person and the next person. And it is a, it is a big deal for some guys, and it is a big deal for me to step into that vulnerability as it comes. But one of the things, and this just came out as a saying from the last retreat is, the motto is for the men of movement retreat is lead from the middle. And that came up so strong. And what that means to me, and we're just getting shirts now printed, is this is just what what feels most natural to me is when myself and the facilitators, when we're guiding these things, we're in it with the people. So if I'm leading a breath or somatic release breathwork session, all the facilitators are participating. If they're leading something, I'm participating. And really what it feels like is there's no pedestaling. There's no one better than the other. And I love it when I'm going through it with them, through the sweat lodge with the guys so I can really connect and and be vulnerable as well. And so I really feel like it's the container, it's the permission, it's also how the facilitators step into their vulnerability and support from an authentic place. So I think it's all of that stuff. But with that, you've got a real... Something really special, man. Something really, really special that's palatable. Amazing. Yeah, that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> it, it scares the shit out of me. If you told me I could go and I could support somebody and stay grounded and, and, and stay open and hold space for somebody, I know for you know 100% I could do that. No problem. But to be vulnerable with myself and spill that onto somebody else, that's where I'm just like, I, that, that's how I know I need more of that in my life because it scares the hell out of me. Mm. Totally. Mm, it's so yep. cool that you got into that and that you're able to help men in that way because I, I do see that that is something that a lot of people really struggle with and they don't exactly know how to identify it or work with that. Um, and certainly in my own life, again, it, that that sounds really scary and something that I need to address a lot more. So I really appreciate that you're you're doing that and doing that work. It's so cool that you were able to go from you know so much of the physical side to also the mental, emotional space, the spiritual space and, and meld those things to, together because I, I don't think you can divorce all of them. I think that's wonderful. You can't, you can't. And like, and this is what happens too. 
like it was interesting at this retreat we had uh, I mean it's so varied like we got guys from mid-20s to early 50s totally different stages in life from people that haven't done really any of this work whatsoever which is so cool like it's so refreshing just to hear guys like unfiltered not trying to sound spiritual or whatever just like I'm fucking frustrated like I'm upset like it's like yeah all right cool let's work with that and then you've got people that have done maybe some of this work. And then we've had – this time we had a lot – not a lot, but we had four-ish guys out of 17 that uh, were big business guys. Like either sold their businesses or reached a level of like really good financial security and are now looking for meaning in life. Or like what do I – like they were so into the business side of things and reached that. Just like such into the physical side maybe, the training side, that once like looking back – like then it's just like okay well i've achieved this or i know this thing but i want more and it really and that's why going back to the kettlebell lifestyle i realized it's like i really want to teach people movement skill and how to utilize this tool safely and if that's all i'm doing man just like we're missing a big chunk of the pie to learn about ourselves understand our body uh balance that working in and working out component we lose a lot of the richness and so um, hopefully, hopefully with kettlebell lifestyle, these retreats, the physical is a big part of it. But like what you're saying, it's like, you can't separate everything. You can't separate one thing from the other and they all piggyback each other and, and support each other. Yeah, that's incredible. I do want to also spend uh, a little bit of time talking about an experience you had, something that um, I'm really passionate about, which is nutrition. And we follow a, a mostly carnivore diet around here. I've been carnivore for about three years. And I, wow. I really love you know animal-based nutrition. That's how I coach a lot of my clients who are interested in that. But I'm not a hunter. And you know I, I rarely fish. Like <laughs> Killing a fish for me can be tough. Like I, I, don't, I don't like to do that. I love animals and that's tough. And so I'm, I'm in this weird limbo where like I'm, I'm using other lives as my food, yet I'm not the one taking the life. And you recently went on a hunting trip where you were able to do that for the first time. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that experience and things you learned and that you took away from that trip. Oh man, I'm, I'm so honored that you asked that. And I mean that, um, I actually went on two hunting trips now cause I just got back from another one. And now each year I'm going to be organizing one with Monsol who runs, um, an organization, a company, whatever you want to call it called sacred hunting. And so that was my introduction was with Monsol. And so basically, uh, I've always wanted just like you, like I've always, well, even growing up, my only association with meat was especially growing up before I started eating organic food and started like buying from a farm, et cetera. The only, my only connection to meat was what was in like, uh, over here with like Safeway, basically plastic wrap with ground meat. And, and that was, it was through basically a plastic container. That was my only connection. I had no idea where the meat was coming from, what they were eating, what the conditions were, what, how they were killed, none of that stuff. And so the curiosity as I started learning more and more about this stuff in Paul's work and wanting to be more connected to food and realizing that food is life and that we are making ourselves out of that food that we are eating. And, and also too, if we choose to believe it or I choose to believe it, it's like when we eat that food, we also take on the energy of that food as well. And so it's it's a very 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 fucking it's it's the it's the soil of the tree right if we, if we have shit soil what the hell is the tree going to grow out of right so i wanted to get closer to to the animals and i couldn't find any farm around here that would allow me to be part of a slaughter or anything just to see i wanted to be a part of that so that i'd have more gratitude more connection to the food and associate my food as opposed to what came in at this package that i just stick in the freezer in the fridge so Monsel, through a connection of friends, we set up, or I was assisting, um, I, I, I attended a first hunting retreat to assist in one component of it, not the hunting stuff, and completely changed my life. Completely, and I say that with no exaggeration, the sacred hunting experience is basically taking um, a modern slash indigenous approach to hunting. So there's a blessing of the weapons, there's an intention, there's calls before. Uh, it's as much of a full-on three-day ceremony of personal growth, connection with the animal. Um, man, the the kill, there's a blessing of the animal. You carry the animal back. You butcher the whole thing. Uh, you can say a prayer of thanks over it. The, the whole thing from start to finish, when we rolled up to the property on the first, first hunt and I think second hunt, you see an animal hanging. And right away, you get in to start. They teach you how to butcher. So from start to finish, you're a part of every process. 
And on this first hunt, I didn't get an animal. Second hunt, I did a wild boar. And like, it is, it's a very, for me, very emotional experience. And to see something that was once live and to know that I had killed it and to stand over the animal and to feel it still warm literally was one of the more moving experiences of my life. And now every single time that I have that meat, which is in my freezer or any type of meat or any type of food, it just has a completely different feel to it, completely different level of appreciation. Like for me, and I learned this from Paul, like I'll always say just nothing religious, just a prayer of thanks or of gratitude for my meals. I place my hands over my food. And when I did that at that hunt, and feeling even just right after we had some of it and it was cooked up, completely different. Like the emotional connection to the animal, the gratitude. Every time I think about it, I served some of that wild boar to the guys on the retreat and got to tell the story of it so they knew about it and felt that connection or at least some level of connection. My level of meat consumption, my level of gratitude, just everything is like I've got literally goosebumps right now because – it's just is so moving. And so I really do believe if someone does eat meat in some way, shape or form, it would be beneficial to at least be a part, whether you end up killing an animal or not, just being a part, just to witness and to see this life cycle and to see an animal that we oftentimes tend, tend to take for granted that we do every day, this repetition thing, we eat two, three, four times a day, whatever, especially on a carnivore diet, we're eating so much meat. And so to know and to see, it's like, it's, uh, it's a lot and it, it's completely changed. And so to bring people to experience this and how much it's changed me now, I'm like each year, I'm going to take a group for a sacred hunt. And we've already took one group and it's, it's a beautiful and challenging, very challenging Thing to witness and be a part of too. What an incredible process. That's exactly how I would want to do it if I did. That's that's amazing. I'm so glad you mentioned something in there, um, sharing. I think not only consuming that animal yourself, but to be able to gift it to another human. And and, and you're right, like telling that story, and that to, that to me is even almost even more powerful. It totally is. It, it totally is. And I've been gifted meat as well. And like, People will send me, they go on a hunt, like I just got some elk from a friend. And like, I'm so grateful, like so grateful. And when you, it's so interesting, like when when I've been around hunters with, um, and I haven't been around too many hunters, this is a new thing for me these last few years, but Monsel and another guy, um, buddy Dave um, Borneo, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, but he gifted me some elk. And he's a, he's a guide and stuff like that. And like both those guys are basically like, I could tell you the story of every single animal like how it died and like that and like what happened and like, and so it's just, there's a story to it and there's a connection to the land. There's a connect, like literally these animals were shot, butchered, all carried back by hand. And like, there is, there is sweat and blood and tears, like tear, a lot of tears. Like it's very emotional to see something that, and, and to know like, that it was as a result of my hand. It's a big responsibility. When I'm in front, when I'm behind the, the the rifle and I'm looking through the scope, it's not for me. Maybe it'll get calmer. I don't know. But it is like my heart is beating out of my chest. And like there is a, an honest check-in process of like, am I about to do this? Like, is this really good? And it has to be a full body yes. Full body yes. Like I've been on an animal and it hasn't been a yes. And I haven't done it. And then that one was a full body yes. Okay, check in did it. And like I said, from, from then on, like there is a connection to that animal. And I've done many meditations of just giving thanks and connecting to that animal. Actually the, and I actually kept the skull, which is behind me. And like when I, yeah, it's, it's like, so when I see that and it's like, it's intense, it's like legit intense in the spirit and this boar specifically. So in Texas, boars are, um, uh, overpopulated. So you could, there's no season for boars, for example. Deers, you have a season. So these things are hunted all year round. They got no rest. These things are on guard all year round. And this was actually approximately a five-year-old boar. So you got to imagine the resiliency of this thing. And it had, uh, it almost looked like a bear. I don't know. But like on, on its back, it was over almost a 300-pound, 250-plus-pound boar. So huge with massive scars in its back and ears tore up. And like when I was like, this thing was a fucking warrior. 
And so the amount, I mean, it's lasted five years in a season that doesn't stop. These things are on point all time, on guard. And so literally when I think about this, for me, the spirit of that animal, the warrior that it was, like, it just like calls me to be that warrior in times when I know like that I'm like playing small or like I need to step into that and honor this animal and bring it like when I eat it, I, I bring in a part of that energy or at least I choose to with my imagination. And so I've just got so much like it's a totem for me. And so when I see that in my meditations, I like really call that in. And that might sound weird or funny, but it's just what for those like it's just what I choose to believe. And it's just made me so much more grateful of, again, all the food I eat. And if anything, that's been the greatest gift. It's just been the the gratitude for the food that we eat every day. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for telling Mm. that story and going through that process and being willing to face those things. I I love all my vegan and vegetarian friends, and they are vegan and vegetarian, generally speaking, for the most noble and best Mm. reasons. And it's, it's a bummer because it's a bit of a misunderstanding to think that if you eat something, that something did not die to give you that food. And whether you're eating just plants or whether you're eating all animals, something is going to die for you to get food. And that's something we all need to grapple with. And I, I really do appreciate the, the way that you address that in a really open and honest way um, and, and dealt with some of those things. And, and I, I, I can just, I can feel the gratitude coming off of you when you talk about those experiences. It's just so super cool. This has been such a special and unique conversation. I've really taken a lot from this. Um, if you were to leave the listener with one simple tip or something they could take from this conversation and apply in their lives, what would that one thing be? We've covered a lot of ground. Wow. Man, it's, uh, at the end of this conversation, I like my, uh, just how I'm feeling right now, just sharing about the food and that hunt, like literally, I feel honestly quite vulnerable, right? Like my, uh, just the goosebumps in my heart, like, so, which lets me know that what was, what I was sharing is really true for me. It really is true for me. So I think just the last thing, if it resonates with me, hopefully it resonates with people listening, like, uh, whether you go on a hunt or not, whatever, but um, take a moment before every meal, literally three breaths. Close your eyes if you'd like, three breaths in and out through the nose. You can just sit there. You can place your hands over your food and just literally express gratitude for what you're about to take in and to connect with that. And I think uh, if we do that you know, one, two, three times a day, like it's also going to have a cascade effect, just like weight training in the gym. Like I learned structure and discipline and progress. And what I learned in the gym, I take in every aspect of my life. And so not only do I feel it can connect us with more gratitude with the food that we eat and how we bring it in and how we digest and absorb and assimilate it, but hopefully can also spill over into other aspects towards gratitude for our partner, gratitude for our family, gratitude for our kids, gratitude for whatever means something to us in life. And the food can be a great launch pad to that. So um, take some breaths before you, you eat and, and, and express thanks for whatever your nutritional preference, philosophy, doesn't matter. Just gratitude. That's, full, full gratitude. That's amazing. We absolutely love that. Mike Salemi, this has been an incredible conversation. Where can people go to find you, connect with you and your work, and also find the programs and the workshops that you offer? Yeah. So the uh, best place is uh, Instagram, uh, which is just my name, Mike.Salemi. Also, my website is MikeSalemi.io, not .com. Uh, If you go to either of those places, I also got a YouTube channel where I post like training videos right now each week, which is just my name, Mike Salemi. But on my website, if anyone's interested in the Men of Movement retreat that we're running twice a year or breath work or anything like that, or just to reach out with some questions, uh, you can just uh, hit me up there. But uh, that would be great places to find me. That's awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. You put out a lot of great content, especially on Instagram. And I will say for no other reason to follow you on Instagram, dude, that mustache you were rocking for a little while was <laughs> epic, epic. So good. Dude, thank you. I know you work work with a lot of firefighters and you could be right in the the station with them. It's just classic. 
Hell yeah. It's coming back for the next. I'm going to do It's going to be a ritual now uh, or a routine of uh, every month before the men's retreat. I'm going to do it. I'm going to grow it. And that's that's the, the chi right there. That's the power right there. It. It's going to be the step. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's amazing. Well, Mike, thank you so very much for everything that you have gone through in your life for, you know, again, marrying the, the physical side of things with the mental and emotional and connecting all of those dots. I think it's really enriching and can really help people. So thank you so very much for all of your work and thank you for taking time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Dude, absolute pleasure, man. This has been super fun. Thank you, Casey. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, We have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body, it's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.